This is episode 160 of Herpetological Highlights. I'm Ben Marshall, and co-hosting, as always, is Tom Major. And uh, on this episode, we have, um, well, kind of peculiar, sort of weird little animal. <laughs> I'm sort of lost for words. I don't even know how to... Do you know how introduce it because i'm just so sort of blown away by how they look basically yeah salamanders is broadly the topic and well you wouldn't be surprised that they're the ones that are responsible for some weirdness because let's face it they are strange most of the time they're just beyond comprehension Uh, certainly for (laughs) me (laughs) they're little faces you look into a salamander's eyes and you see absolutely nothing because you just can't reach them no, you can't. Their eyes are sort of as black as the night, jet black, particularly the species we're going to be talking about. But yeah, they're very strange little creatures. I think it would be easy to think that they don't really do a lot. You know, there's not a lot of complication. They sort of live under rocks and bark where it's kind of nice and moist. And then, you know, they just eat bugs and sort of, yeah, keep it low key. Cryptozoic, yeah. nice. But actually, there is a wealth of stuff going on with these little creatures and uh yeah we're talking about a particular species of salamander one of the lungless salamanders so this is an animal without lungs the family plethodon today see exactly something something as simple as breathe no don't breathe regular vertebrate way with your lung system no circular breathing even it's it's i can't handle them they don't need it they don't need lungs they're post lungs but yeah, maybe they're not. Mm, are they post lungs? Or oh, they really never have lungs. I shouldn't have said that. Yeah, anyway, let's introduce the paper before we get too in- into this weird salamander. This is by Cox and Fitzpatrick, 2023, fresh off the press. Biofluorescent sexual dimorphism revealed in a southern Appalachian endemic salamander, Plethodon metcalfi. Scientific reports this was published in. Yeah, so if they weren't weird enough, now they're glowing. Yeah, mate. It's crazy. And this is the thing, it's quite new. Biofluorescence in amphibians, which is where they absorb light and then re-emit it at a longer wavelength. I mean, when you say quite new, you mean sort of more recently acknowledged and discovered, right? As opposed to they just started glowing one day quite recently. (laughs) Yeah, there's been a spill and now they're glowing. (laughs) Now, as in, they've probably been doing it for millennia, but we just discovered it as human beings right. about 2017. So not long ago, 2017, it's the news started pouring in that there were amphibians which could do this biofluorescent thing where they... Yeah, fish can do it. Some birds mammals. can do it. Which mammals can do it? Oh, Aren't there, spot there glowing... Oh my God, platypus. Can it? Oh. I believe so. I think platypi... Well, they're pretty amazing animals. ...elements of glowiness to them. They can lay eggs, produce milk, make their own custard... There's Allegedly. Can't do. Yeah. So yeah, we're talking about biofluorescence, and that is where animals absorb wavelengths of light, usually that we can't see, like really, really short wavelengths, like ultraviolet, and then they re-emit them at a longer wavelength, usually sort of like either bright red, bright blue, bright green. And um, this particular study, though, they're not absorbing UV light, which is often the case. They're actually absorbing blue wavelengths of light and then spitting them back out. But as I say, only recently discovered. And yeah, it's common in marine organisms. A lot of animals on the deep sea can biofluoresce for various reasons. Some of them can actually create light completely. They don't actually need light to make light. This is more like a... Yeah, that's a different level of glow-in-the-darkness, isn't it? Yeah, that's a bit more intense. But these ones, they absorb some light and then they shoot it back. And um, 
In this case, it's green, the biofluorescence, but we'll get into that. But the species we're talking about, we mentioned they're lungless salamanders. So this is the grey-cheeked salamander. And uh, because it's American, they misspelled the word grey with an A. And like I said, Plethodon metcarfi, it is largely a grey species, as you'd expect for something that's called grey-cheeked. But the body is like a darker grey, and then the cheeks are a lighter grey, hence the name <laughs> grey-cheeked salamanders. Yep. It's literally that simple. They're quite lightly built. They're ribbed. So they've got the sort of classic ribbed look down the sides. And yeah, lungless. So they're breathing not through lungs, which they do not have. They breathe entirely through their tissues, mainly the skin, but also the mucous membranes in the mouth and the throat. And the scientists who conducted this study, they packed their bags, headed to the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, looking for these grey-cheeked salamanders. And they walked around in the day and night looking under logs and rocks for salamanders. And then they worked out when they caught the salamanders whether they were males or not males. They couldn't really work out definitely females. They could only just tell it was a male or not a male because the males have this mental gland. Yeah. Yeah. And some males might not have that gland prominently visible. Some males, yeah, they might just be a little bit... They could confirm some males for sure, but the ones that they couldn't confirm were males for sure. Uh, some of them could also be males. Yeah, and I mean, salamanders have some like intersex stuff going on, so it is entirely feasible that there were some that were just intersex individuals too. But yeah, if they had a mental gland, which is these glands which appear in pairs on either side of the head, sorry, one on each side of the head, and they're located like just behind the jaw, and males use them for spreading pheromones around. And some species do like weird little head wobbling behaviours to sort of squirt the juices further. And it is actually a theory, I don't know that it's tested, that um, lizards, you know, like bearded dragons, they do that head bob thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think do it's a, a theory that like... Yeah, in addition to that being sort of quite intimidating because it's quite sort of, why is that lizard doing that thing? But it might also help because they have to like get the pheromones. So it's like a, a wafting mechanism. Could be, maybe, we don't know. You know, another one of the mysteries out there. But anyway, yeah, and the, the scientists wanted to look for biofluorescence in this species. So um, yeah, they were like turning the salamanders upside down. I'm sure they looked at the tops as well. And they were turning them upside down, <laughs> shining this blue light on them. Yes, I'm sure that, yes, I think they were shining the light all over them. But the area of interest, as it happens to be, is the underside. No, they definitely shine them on the top because there's a wonderful picture. Figure B, uh, figure 1B has a picture of the salamander from above. And you do see a little bit of glowing uh, if you're looking at the salamander from above. But only really on its little salamander fingers oh yeah that's right yeah yeah that's true yeah yeah there is a little bit on the toes but the majority of this glowing and it's in it's concentrated in little spots right so they obviously have like some kind of aggregation of color producing or color reflecting or color i don't know what you call it i guess it is absorbing and then reflecting pigments they're obviously right fluorescing. fluorescing yeah and they're obviously in little clusters because you see in the males, basically, you turn them upside down and all down the whole belly, the whole trunk of the salamander, it's like a fluorescent green night sky. And it's very beautiful. It's and absolutely also down the tail. phenomenal. The contrast of these little pinpricks of light against a sort of darker, you know, non-fluorescing background and rest of the salamander are absolutely stunning. They're so high contrast. It's really beautiful. I was very impressed by the pictures when you sent me this paper. You were like, what do you think? And I was like, yes. 
let's talk about it. <laughs> Look at these cool. stunning salamanders. Yeah, and also I just love this like macro photography and this crazy light. It's super awesome. But yeah, the males have it all over their bellies and on their tails. And then the females, when they have it, they only really have it on the tail. And it's much less pronounced, or at least the non-males we're talking about. They could be immature males. They could be insects. But the ones that are not definitely males tended to have significantly less of this speckling and mostly just on the tail as compared to the entire bellies of the males. And the fact that it's uh, sexually dimorphic, so the males have more of it than the females, which is obviously the title of this paper. That's kind of the big news story here. And they think that because there's this dimorphism, the males and the females aren't the same in their expression of this biofluorescence, that it probably plays a role in communication and or sexual selection. And I know what you're thinking. What? How can a salamander's little tum-tum be used in communication? Because these are terrestrial creatures. Their tummy's not on display. They're sort of just dragging their belly around the forest. They've got short little legs. Yeah, they are low movers, low riding salamanders. Difficult to see. And so when are they going to be communicating the signal if it is indeed a signal? Well, as it turns out, the males in this species perform a behaviour which they call a foot dance. Not the salamanders. The people that research the salamanders call it a foot dance. I don't believe the salamanders themselves call it a foot dance, right? The salamanders don't have a name for it. They just know they have to do it. They might. We just, we're unaware of it. Have you seen it? Did you look up any videos of it? I haven't seen it. I've never seen it, no. So I went looking. I went looking and I got to say, I was disappointed with how hard it was to find a decent video. And when I did find a video that was alleging to display this foot dance. It's not as good as I was hoping. (laughs) I was quite disappointed. Oh, that's a shame. I suppose in my mind I had, you know, certain species of lizards do that hilarious little sort of hand wave gesture, Mm. and you can see the underside of them doing that. I was expecting something akin to that, or those lizards that hop on different feet on hot sand. And I... It's my own fault for expecting something much more rapid. Salamanders are just much more steady, slow-moving little guys. They're (laughs) they're just not built for speed in that way. So the foot dance is not as dramatic as uh, I was hoping, as I imagined. Well, that's a shame. But I suppose, you know, if the intention of this foot dance is just simply to show off the little belly spots which they have fluorescing, then maybe they don't need to do too dramatic. All the females need is like a little glimpse yeah. and they're like, oh, look at the spots on him. So, yeah. yeah, maybe that's enough. But yeah, they describe the foot dance as kind of raising and lowering all of the limbs alternately and then raising and lowering only the forelimbs or the hind limbs. So you get sort of like a little salamander Mexican wave type of thing. I don't right. know. You've seen it. But, well, uh, that's the thing is it makes it... <laughs> it, makes it <laughs> you picture an animal raising its leg as not taking like multiple seconds to accomplish it. Whereas <laughs> a salamander is just... Oh, I mean, bless them. A little bit slow motion. A little bit. Well, a little bit, yeah. Nevertheless. For all I know, they're perfectly capable of doing this foot dance in a far faster and dramatic fashion. It's just I couldn't find videos displaying that. Yeah, maybe the one doing it was a bit nervous. Well, yeah, I mean, it's getting videos, so. Yeah. But anyway, the fact that there is this sexual dimorphism with the males having it more and in conjunction with the foot dance kind of makes it seem like it actually has a role in sexual selection or communication. Um, Maybe it's a sign of fitness that they can produce this pigment. You know, that is often the case in so many animals. 
make yourself jazzy to show that you can waste resources on expensive showy accoutrements instead of just basically surviving. So mm-hmm. maybe that's why they have it. The authors of this paper said in order to find out for sure, they'll just need to have a look at some more different species of salamander. There are quite a few that do the foot dance. So if the foot dance and the belly dots fluorescing seem to have a link, that would kind of be better evidence that that's why they have yeah. these dots. But they also say, you know, it could be an evolutionary relic, maybe. But it seems unlikely. It seems unlikely because you wouldn't expect it to appear on both. Just, sorry, one sex. You'd expect it to appear on both if it was something sort of vestigial. Yeah. I think the other component is working out if it is sexual selection, whether it actually matters in terms of female mate choice and whether it's a sort of honest or dishonest signal relative to uh, the salamanders, the male salamanders' fitness, right? Because for all we yeah. know, the glowiest ones, yeah, they're wasting resources, but they're wasting resources in such a way that it actually undermines overall fitness. So it comes at a cost, potentially. Who knows? Because yeah, there's all sorts of tricks out there. Yeah, I'm hopeful that we'll see some more papers about this. I mean, it's only just like the last sort of five years that everyone's been losing their minds about biofluorescence. It all kind of started with the... At least it started... I guess there's that weird little gecko, isn't there? And then... um there's some chameleons, that Columa species that came mm-hmm. that paper got a lot of media attention. Well, they had glowing bones, didn't they? I mean, these salamanders yeah. have glowing bones as well. It's just the bones aren't glowing nearly as uh, dramatically as these these sort of pinpricks of uh, light on the underside. But I think that's it really for the uh, glowing salamanders. And um, we're transitioning neatly from one salamander to a slightly different but similar non-salamander amphibian tenuous very it's tenuous. a new species it's a new species okay so this is a paper by fedler eng and mola 2023 unraveling siren systematics and description of a small seepage specialist published in zoo taxa i'd hate to be referred to as a seepage specialist oh well, best live your life in a way that you don't become a CPIS specialist then. Yeah. To be fair, you've made a critical mistake heading towards fish. Because, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's, let's that's face true, it, yeah. they live in wet areas, and next thing you know, you're going to be working in seepage. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> Just how it happens by accident. Yeah, yeah well, so, exactly. Um, <laughs> I didn't know what seepage was, in all honesty. I'm I'm guessing a lot of people don't know what seepage is. It's not really a word you come across, really. But seepage is the slow escape of a liquid or gas through porous material or small holes. And in this case, it's because this particular species of siren, we'll go over what a siren is in case you're scratching your head. But this particular species of siren, as it turns out, loves hanging around in seepage areas. So that's areas of sphagnum moss, so mossy areas with root mats of grasses or... um, wetland margins with like lots of mud and essentially yeah, muddy muddy wetlands <laughs> yeah and these are kind of areas where water is draining through from the wider catchment to some kind of waterway and they're yeah. characterized by being extremely damp and apparently a lovely home for this new species of siren and sirens are these very strange amphibians we had a new species a few weeks ago yeah the reticulated siren i think was the last one that uh, That's right. that we covered that was an absolute stunner yeah and brilliantly named Siren Reticulata, nice and easy, because of its net-like pattern. 
But yeah, we've got another one here. They are the amphibians that have no back legs. They just have a tail, a long tail, so they look like an eel, but then they have these tiny little front arms and little hands and external gills. So they kind of look like an, an axolotl with no back legs, but, but also way longer. And also the front arms, they're so funny. They're so small. They're hilarious. And they scuttle around. They've just got the best of both worlds. They can swim like an eel, but they can also scuttle about like a salamander. But mostly in the water. Cause they're definitely only in the water, really. The external gills gives you... Uh, it, it sort of limits you, doesn't it? Yeah, they don't work on the land. But yeah, they've described this new species. This is a new species which is in western Florida, all the way west into Louisiana and up into Alabama in these wet seepage areas. And they've called it... What have they called it? Sphagnum... Nicola. Sphag Nicola. Siren Sphagnum Nicola. Is it Sphagnum Nicola? No, it's Sphagnicola. Yeah. This is the problem, is you're you're getting me to read words I can't read. (laughs) Sorry, yeah, I didn't write it down. Siren Sphagnicola, that's what they've called it. And um, they've called it that. Because it's a uh, type of drink that tastes like moss, and they taste the same. It's nothing to do with cola. No? It's to do with sphagnum, the moss, which we were just talking about, which is like one of these main seepage habitats. If you lift up these mats of moss, you can sometimes find the salamander, the salamander, the siren underneath. And um, cola say, might just not means just, dweller. Might not find this siren because there's others about too. This is the whole paper is sort of re-clarifying these other two that are living sympatric with it. The uh, was it intermediate siren and the western siren. Sort of similar sort of areas, but different. This is a siren, this this Sphagnicola is sort of bridging the difference between these two other sympatric species in this this area of northwest Florida. Yeah, and this one is actually the smallest, Sphagnicola. And the common name is, as we said, what did we say? The seepage siren. Seepage the seepage siren, siren which yeah. is... <laughs> bit hurtful but there you go it does really adequately describe what they do which is really cool i personally love the name sphagnicola suggesting they dwell in sphagnum moss so yeah really cool paper like i say smallest one 20 centimeters full length yeah that's the biggest one they found was about 20 centimeters including the tail that is it's quite cute speaking of the tail they can regenerate the tail if it gets lost which is good because they are mostly just tail without that. Salamander. <laughs> salamander. Why do we keep calling it a salamander? It's not a damn salamander. I think it's because we only just recently found out about sirens and they're just, yeah. Is it a salamander? It's from Cordata. Maybe it Cordata is, is a type a of salamander, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So Cordata is the class of amphibians, yeah. including salamanders and newts. So, yeah, no, they are. In opposition to Anura. Yeah. They are technically a salamander then. Yeah. Just don't call it, you know, sirens. Just call it a siren. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Or a siren, siremander. I saw this on social media. This species has been described and I was like, yeah, we have to do it because they're so weird. They're just so weird. Well, it's a seepage, <laughs> seepage siren. It's amazing. Yeah. And uh, looking at their phylogeny, which is the sort of interrelationships between all these species of sirens in the sort of Florida area, it looks as though there's a couple more species to be described, possibly three more species to be described based on the fact that this siren intermedia has three very distinct lineages that look as divergent from each other as the other species. So, mm-hmm. yeah, expect some more sirens coming when the scientists write the papers, run the analyses and get it through review. We'll have some more sirens to talk about, probably. Yeah. Weird little critters. I kind of love them. Yeah, I do. I really, really like them. I think they're cool. Yeah. 
They've got a lot going for them. What does it look like though? Does it have distinguishing features? Well, see, this is the thing. I was all while you were you were saying uh, saying about that. I was staring at. <laughs> I was staring at them, thinking about the way of describing them, and I think it's sort of if you mix brown, purple, and grey together, that's the sort of colour we're talking about. I know that's a really weird thing to combine, but that's the best I got. It's got a little blunt salamandery little face with cold round dead eyes like a doll's eyes and speckles on the cheeks and heading along the back in these sort of rows yeah and it's shaped like a siren <laughs> that's all i got i think i think that adequately describes it to be honest they're very strange if you've never seen what a siren looks like definitely google one they're pretty crazy yeah they're just remarkable they're just <laughs> they're so weird Part of me thinks that they look like animals that just gave up once it hit the sort of middle of the body. And just like, yeah, I wouldn't uh, forget it. And it just tails off. <laughs> just go tail. Yeah. Love them, though. And of course, they've got all these interesting uh, sensory adaptations. We were talking about that in a, in a past episode, you know, all along the face. They've got this lateral line, which allows them to detect movements in the water. So... um Although they look comical, quizzical, and have the dead eyes of a doll, they are actually pretty dangerous predators if you're smaller than them, and they'll suction you straight into their little gaping jaws in this mats of sphagnum. So yeah, although comical and harmless to us, for the uh, sort of... Water invertebrates. Yeah, oh boy. they're absolutely a menace. Yeah. But yeah. And these ones actually do have red gills, which is quite cool. Yes. A little bit of flair. Hmm. But yeah, I think that's about it for the new species of siren, the seepage siren. Have you got any other business for this episode, Ben? I don't. I don't I don't have any other business. The only thing I saw, and I couldn't get hold of the article, but apparently yellow anacondas, this was, I was sent this by Jafe, and basically, apparently yellow anacondas have got a new defense mechanism now that's just been discovered, where they <laughs> New defense themselves. mechanism, just drop in. Yellow anacondas, yeah, yellow anacondas <laughs> coming back. Yeah, but Finally. it was a new scientist article, so I couldn't read it because I don't Excellent. subscribe. That's what and then we I like. googled the paper, and it doesn't appear the paper's out yet. So, or at least I couldn't find. It. I found a citation for it, but I couldn't find it. So, basically, it seems like yellow anacondas can do this weird leap where they just like form an S bend and then just like send it into the sky like a sidewinder. I think it is probably just like a really quick getaway thing. Okay, similar to that species we were talking about the other week that does the. <laughs> cartwheel the cartwheeling yeah. uh, escape method yeah okay yeah. okay yellow anacondas but, that's quite a beefy snake for such a escape mechanism well apparently but, um, yeah raw strength it's only the juveniles makes oh well okay there we go yeah that makes a bit more sense doesn't it once they get too big they just can't do it hmm. they just flop about but yeah but defense so, presumably for escape rather than a oh i'm gonna get you and spook you away by jumping in your face yeah, I would imagine it's just a quickness thing, like a quick little bolt of activity. Although, you know, when things move like that in that kind of like startling way, it would spook. I mean, it would probably make you jump. Yeah. 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 But yeah, sometimes a good offense is the best defense. As a mystery say. in terms of the paper, but maybe that's findable by the time this is out, perhaps. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. It's out there somewhere. But anyway, I think that's about it for this episode, isn't it? On our biofluorescent salamanders and a new species of siren. 
If you want to get in touch with us, you can. Herbhighlights at gmail.com. We're both on social media too. Yeah, if you've got any questions, comments, if we made a mistake, if you want to give us a correction, hit us up. But otherwise, thank you for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening.